This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Here's the thing, Peers. Chance encounters can change the world. Like when our next guests, Emily Ames and Kate Hamilton, met in Spain and quickly moved from strangers to best friends to business partners. Their business? Sonder and Tell, a renowned London-based content agency that combines smart storytelling with innovative strategy. I'm so excited to invite this dynamic duo on the show today. Emily and Kate have been the queens of content creation for years and have both been honoured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. In today's episode, we go deep and we talk about Emily and Kate's journey to creating Sonder and Tell their love for storytelling, and why you don't necessarily have to become an entrepreneur to be a hashtag girlboss. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible Forbes 30 Under 30 listees. Okay, peers. Without any further ado, here is my conversation with the brilliant Emily Ames and Kate Hamilton. Emily, Kate, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank, Thank you for having us. us. We're going to do that a lot. Oh, so way. fun. We like we have love the that. same brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Great. So, you know, you and I connected, Emily, very recently on LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and Kate and, and what you guys are doing, the brilliant work you're doing with your new agency, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Oh, thank you so thank much you. for having us. We're so excited to be here. Awesome. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, so we have a content, or we're calling it a storytelling agency as well, called Sonder and Tell. Um, so it's been going for nearly two years, or will be two years in October. Um, do you want to know how it sort of actually got sure. off the ground? Oh. Tell us everything. <laughs> yeah, well, so go, we'll go into more about mm. how we met. But we met um, when we were in Spain, um, called like 
seven years ago now um, and started working for a travel magazine called Suitcase and it was still very early stages then. So um, it was essentially a blog um, but it was growing into a print magazine and then we helped build it into this kind of multimedia platform. Emily was brand director at the magazine uh, and then opened Suitcase's agency and I ended up after five years being editor-in-chief there. Um, so we had this amazing time, kind of traveled the world together, built up all these journalistic techniques, kind of interviewing people and finding a story, knowing how to craft words. Um, but it just kind of ran its course in quite a natural way. And we were sort of seeing all this content that brands were putting out there that was really exciting, but maybe not all of them had the kind of editorial know-how on how to craft stories, or they were doing it in this sort of quite SEO churny way and weren't necessarily thinking about their brand tone of voice and what they actually wanted to be saying. Um, So we kind of resolved to create uh, a content agency that had really good words, tone of voice, storytelling, and kind of crafted language at its heart. Mm. Um, So yeah, it took us a while, I think, to figure out exactly what it is. Um, And today we offer different types of content services and storytelling. So we sort of always say we divide what we do into two parts. And the first is very much sort of um, inward looking communications for a brand. So it could be things like your brand narrative, your brand personality, your tone of voice, uh, ethics and values, and your sort of team culture. And then the second part of what we do um, in a nutshell is basically anything consumer facing. So that could be um, product copy or website copy. It could be newsletters, um, content campaigns, or we do bits and pieces on social media as well. So it's, yeah, internal and external storytelling. I love it. (laughs) It's it's so cool to hear, obviously I've read about it, but it's so cool to hear like the intricacies of of the company and, and what you guys are doing. Awesome. Okay. So look, I want to dive a bit more into that a bit later, but before I do, I want to start with a question, which I often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Well, so both of us have had stints in America, but we're both born in England. I was born and raised in London um, and moved to America when I was nine years old. Um, for about four year, five years, I think, in the end. Um, so I think I actually don't think I was that impacted by moving in a negative sense. Like my sister was two years older than me, and I always think that those ages are very important when you're moved. Um, so I actually loved. I had such a privileged childhood in terms of my parents were together, mm. really stable family environment we moved around but they always like paid us attention um and yeah so I think I've just always had a really stable upbringing Mm. which is I think once we go on to talk about business and starting things on your own I think if you have that sort of grounded family Mm. environment it's a really good base to sort of push off from which I think a lot of people don't have the opportunity to have I think I I always never know really how to answer where I'm from, which sounds very dramatic, not in a kind of, I don't feel like I'm rooted way, but <laughs> mm. I, my dad my dad was in the army when I was younger. So we got posted to different places every two or three years. So I lived, was born well, in Hampshire, but moved to um, Hong Kong for a few years, Germany for a bit, which I don't remember. And then in um, America for three years in Alabama of all places. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I guess there was a point when I was 13 when I got a bit too much moving around. And at that point, my parents were like, you need an education that isn't 
that is stable. So that's when I kind of moved into boarding school then. Um, but I think, I guess, moving around and just having to be put in different situations and getting on with different people when you're younger and constantly shifting friendship groups has probably made me quite adaptable. Mm. Um, I also kind of like routine, though, weirdly, which is <laughs> the opposite of all of that. But it's nice to have a base, but then know that wherever you go, you can. People aren't that difficult. I think you can always sort of find common ground. Mm. I couldn't agree more. I think that I myself at 16 was the first time I kind of went over and overseas, or not went overseas, but went to go live overseas by myself for a one month stint in China. And having that kind of different environment, different things happening at a different school, different language. And then later on in France, it was so, I at the time I was like, whoa, what's going on? But it's so beneficial. I think the ability to kind of see how different cultures live to kind of at, at such a young age. And the both mm-hmm. of you seem to have had that. And I think that definitely plays a role in adaptability, your ability to just see things a bit differently, gain perspective. So I find that really interesting. Talk to us a bit a bit about progressing into university. Like where were your heads at then? What how did you feel about, you know, heading into university? I mean, you went to Leeds, um, Emily, and then I think it was Edinburgh, yeah, University exactly. of Edinburgh. Yeah. Kate. So talk to us a little bit about that transition there. From school to university. Yeah, and kind of how you felt during that time. Oh, don't cast my mind back. <laughs> I mean, we both studied Spanish. Mm. So I don't know if that's still like looking to explore different cultures and different people. Mm. Um, oh God, I'm trying to remember. I, I mean, I loved school and mm. I loved university. I think I really like being in an, in an institution. I love studying. <laughs> I actually weirdly found the transition from university to work harder mm. um, because I think it was that for now I'm like feel super comfortable kind of having bits and pieces to do. But I think it was a bit of a shock um yeah not having this kind of body beneath you and like being almost being told what to do like used to love a deadline basically (laughs) loved kind of being told when something was done well or not and I think it's more the for me anyway it's more the transition from university to work like not everyone is always going to say well done like you'll know if it's not done well but (laughs) but they kind of just like leave it so now I tell her well done I know so now Emily like has some gold stars (laughs) yeah Um, I think Emily was more chilled out than me. (laughs) Well, I think I was kind of the opposite. So Mm. I hated my last two years of school, absolutely hated. Um, And then I didn't, I wasn't that enthused about going to university. It was more my parents were like, you don't know what you want to do now. So um, go to university. So I kind of applied, did Spanish because I liked literature, history and Spanish. And it kind of encompassed all of that. Um, And got into Leeds and kind of went with quite a nonchalant attitude. Um, And I think I've always been the type that's always wanted to be older. Mm. So from like three years old, when I started rolling my eyes at what my mom said, um, I've always wanted to be sort of a step ahead. And so I think when I did the transition from university to work, I was kind of felt, oh, I'm now kind of where I'm meant to be. Yeah, I feel like you did that very naturally. I remember watching you and being like, yeah, you're finding this quite easy. Yeah, it's almost, yeah. Like, it's almost I was like, where are my notebooks? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt like I caught up at when I left university. I still loved studying and still loved learning, but I almost, yeah, I, I kind of wanted that independence and wanted that freedom to be learning what I wanted to learn about and pursue my own mm-hmm. path. Um, and I think in school and... I still loved school. I'm not, I wasn't, but I think in school I just felt a bit constrained. Um, 
Yeah. I find that language also, and learning a foreign language also helps you kind of feel like you're breaking free a little bit. What was, talk to us a little bit about your time in Spain, meeting each other, and kind of how your relationship kicked off. Yeah, um, I did English and Spanish too. So I was there, I was put in Barcelona for six months, um, went to university there and was also volunteering with a charity called World Reader, which is all to do with um, making books more available in digital digital forms um, to schools across the world. So I think we got set up, we got like kind of set up mm. by a mutual friend who was like, oh, you're both going here, you'll get on. Um, I was living in this square called Plaza del Sol and Emily uh, came to meet me there. I can't, still think I remember what you were wearing. Pink jacket. Pink jacket. Pink jacket and yeah. then we just went for, yeah, um, went, for went for tapas and like a drink at this, what was that bar called? I can remember what it looks Time like bar. anyway. And chicken wings or something. Yeah, chicken wings. So went oh, to eat some chicken memory. wings. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I had six months there. So we kind of we had a kind of group of friends that we hung out with there. And then I moved to Madrid. Um, Emily had started, well, after you stop. Yeah, so I, I went to Barcelona. So basically Kate and I like dated each other for <laughs> six months. <laughs> and then... Um, Came a long-term relationship. <laughs> the longest of my life. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we... At the time, I had heard about this magazine called Suitcase, which a girl at school, the school that I went to had started. Um, and it's, we wanted, we both wanted to be writing about our time there. We both had a lot of spare time. Spanish university is very lax. <laughs> um, so we had a lot of spare time. So we started to share a column. I think it was called like Buena Vida. Buena Vida, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very cringe. Um, and we just kind of spoke about like life in Spain, things to do there. Um, what life was like living there as an English person. Um, and then when Kate moved to Madrid and left me, um, <laughs> we then sort of did this. She would do one one week or one month. I can't remember how long. Yeah. Um, in Madrid and I would do Barcelona. Um, but I think, I mean, that year for the first time for me was like, oh, I'm finally, I'm finally free. I'm making a life for myself. Um, obviously yeah. you had to go to university but it was very, very relaxed. Um, and so, and I had quite a whirlwind because I was dating Kate, but I also met a <laughs> Colombian guy <laughs> that I ended up dating and then end up living with. And it was a very like whirlwind yeah. um, year for me. And I think I was trying to be mm. a grown up mm. in that year mm. and then kind of went back to university and was like, oh, actually I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. Mm. Um, so yeah. that year was like the first sort of taste of, yeah, it was quite formative, actually, looking back. I hadn't really thought about it before, but it was, yeah, I was also had a boyfriend before I went, then we broke up. We're now actually back together, so it has been nine years or not, but I was kind of free in that period as well. But I think it was a big, I don't know, I feel like came out of it a lot more confident in lots of ways, whether that was just like Spain, kind of quite a relaxed place and just being like, yeah, do whatever, because there wasn't as much structure. Mm. Um at, in Madrid, I then went to move, uh, moved and worked for Vogue magazine as well, which was not as cool as it sounded. Um, yeah, but I actually spoke lots of Spanish because all the other interns were Spanish and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was just meeting lots of different people. Mm. Yeah. I also think for us, because people always say, ask about starting a business with your best friend and all of that stuff. But Kay and I, because we met in that year where we were kind of forming new identities and identities outside of kind of everything we like know your school before. friends basically yeah because yeah. we always say I think we're quite 
respectful of each other's decisions and kind of who we want to be, which I think sometimes older friends or friends from your past kind of want you to hang on to whatever you were in the past. And I think Barcelona was that first step of being like, who do I want to be? Where do I want to live? Like, what kind of person do I, you know? And so I think that was kind of always the basis of our friendship that we were discovering things. Yeah, on quite, yeah, on quite neutral ground in a way. It wasn't like charged by any weird backstories or silly school Mm -hmm. tensions or dynamics. It was just like, here's this kind of fun place where you can meet each other. Mm -hmm. Mm. I love that. And I think that so many of us can get caught up in older friendships that, you know, as much as we love the person or whatever it is, they just hold us back in some ways. And so I love that yours was clearly, you know, as you said, the neutral ground and all that. How can we learn to break free of friendships or relationships that don't serve us? I always think it's like having, I think with friendships, and also sometimes I find this with my sister as well, you don't bring things up until they're exploding in your face. And I think especially as women, because we kind of don't, we don't want to get angry. We don't want to like have these big arguments. We don't, well, some people like conflict, um, but I think there's definitely, you wait until the very last moment to bring things up. Whereas I think if you kind of, have those conversations earlier and say, I'm feeling, you know, all the stuff you learn in your business <laughs> training or like coaching training, um, which we don't have yet, but <laughs> we don't, oh, no, my boyfriend's currently, currently doing coaching and he keeps like bringing it home oh, and yeah. sort of practicing on me. So, um, but all those kind of things that we practice in business or practice, it's kind of, you can apply to your friendships, not letting things get out of control, bringing up things that are irritating you. Cause I think, with siblings and with old friends you fall into roles it's kind of like Mm. when you go home uh, when you go home for Christmas or something Mm -hmm. and you revert to being a five-year-old child Mm. with your parents immediately um but it's kind of being conscious of those behaviors that you also participate in but also bringing it up with those friends in quite a neutral calm space and say like I really want to pursue salsa dancing you laughing at me when I do that is holding me back you know (laughs) (laughs) I read something the other day it was this newsletter called conversations on love um by Natasha Lan who's the features editor of red magazine she interviewed um this writer called Perna Bell anyway she was talking about how she sees friendships as quite tidal and that they kind of ebb and flow and you know you're certain friends aren't going to be there the whole time in your life and people go off and do their own thing whether they're starting a new romantic relationship or having children like you know I think a good way of thinking about friendships is you don't have to they don't have to be on the same kilter all the time like there are times when you'll need certain friends more for certain things and I have friends that make me feel really or I like to have fun with and laugh a lot other friends I'd go to for I don't know if I'm feeling really down so it's just keeping in mind what like energy you want from different people and not being scared of the fact that you might lose contact with someone for a bit you might even lose contact with them forever I mean I think I maybe know that only because I had so many different friendships I don't have any childhood friends really Mm -hmm. because I moved around so much but like it's okay Mm -hmm. I think as well to move apart from people and it shouldn't be such a kind of anxious thing so I think people do worry about that Mm -hmm. completely okay I love this okay (laughs) so Let's dive a bit deeper into your time at Suitcase. So, and kind of how you work together and then the progression. So talk to us a little bit about kind of the structure of it, what you both did there, and then how that kind of led you guys to think, oh, we could do something on our own. 
structure. Well, I think the whole point is that at the beginning, there wasn't that much structure. I think Serena always created, so Serena was the founder. Mm. Um, Serena always created an atmosphere that it was a business and it was an office. And, but I think it was very much at one point, um, kind of a lot of young people in the room. Well, there wasn't much definition of roles in a way, I think at the beginning, there was definitely like the creative director who was designed, but in terms of the editorial team, it was kind of, yeah. If you had, the great thing about it was that if you had an idea, wanted to do an event or now, if you wanted to start a podcast, you could pretty much pick it up and run with it. Um, And I think that really helped us figure out what we wanted to do at the beginning, because I think in other roles, you probably go in as you know, assistant in the photography room. Whereas at Suitcase, Mm. if you were really passionate about photography one month and then you were, you know, suddenly inspired to start a podcast, as Kate said, you could kind of run with that because we were kind of figuring it out. Um, I think the funniest thing was that we would all, which I think still happens now because I was speaking to a friend of mine who also into business. And when you have a lot of young people in an office, but you all have extremely inflated titles. So like, oh, yeah. I, was, I think I was about 20, 23 or 24 and I was managing editor. Oh, yeah. And we sort of um, go into these, like um, we'd go into sort of travel conferences and all this stuff. Oh, and yeah. they'd be meeting with the editor in chief. With like and the it's founder like, of like Top <laughs> Continental or something. Yeah. It's like 25 year old Kate. Yeah. <laughs> Tell Loads me what you me basically like hey yeah Yeah. so and I think that's still you know if you have a young team and you want to give them guidance you give them because there's no point having an assistant content editor if you don't have a content editor right um so but I think also what that probably did for us is gave us whether that was overconfidence or not it gave us a lot of confidence because we had to perform kind of the ultimate fake it yeah, exactly. like literally we've given you the title like yeah. live up to it yes. so, um, or do your best yeah so we um, weren't really given a choice about whether we were mm. whether we could do that or not we just had to kind of go for it and I think that was probably quite formative for us because I think it gave us yeah I think in terms of our dynamic we just always naturally like bounced ideas off mm. of each other um I feel like yeah and always agreed with each other on the same things yeah but then also kind of push things further we also traveled together quite a lot which is obviously amazing so Mm. we'd kind of go off and photograph and write things um come up with concepts and interview people um yeah which was really fun yeah amazing experience I mean it was probably was like a leap of faith I'm not I'm it didn't like definitely set us up for like success in starting something together, I guess. Oh, we no. were still, I mean, we had this feeling that would be, that would do it well, I guess, but we weren't, but especially by the end when you were start, when you were more on the agency side and I was much more on editorial, we kind of weren't crossing paths in the office as much. So, um, yeah. Mm. I love that. Okay. So how did you guys talk to us a little bit about the idea for Sonder and Tell and then the early steps that you took to get that off the ground? I think we initially, we did initially talk about starting a PR agency because I think we thought loads of them could just do it better. Basically, (laughs) we were getting all these quite untailored press releases that got sent our way, some for like dog food when, you know, you're pitching to a travel magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just thought we could do it better. So we started going down that route, but then realised that kind of content creation is basically the job of PR but Mm. brands have more ownership over it um yeah I think yeah so at the end Kate was editor-in-chief and I 
was with a team had kind of opened suitcases content arm um and it was very focused on the sort of creation side of content so like creating magazines creating online guides creating app but the point was that i felt like we were making too much content um and this was like my first sort of foray into the world of content and um there was just too much of it we were and i think also it was I think when you set up an agency as part of a magazine, um, you're kind of, you you can't say no as much to clients because you're kind of using that agency as a vessel for other things and you've got overheads and whatever. And we kind of, after speaking, we were like, there must be a way that you can kind of push back to clients and kind of have more of a conversation about what we've turned into the internal side of things so that they're not creating so much content Mm. for so many people it's that thing of like if you're creating content for everyone or if you're trying to speak to everyone you're going to speak to no one um and a lot of the time you'd have brands I'm thinking of one and I'm trying to think of it and so I don't say the name but the owner had a very clear idea I'm doing quotation marks clear idea of who the target audience was and he sort of saw it as this creative Soho house type individual and kind of wanted to create content for that person and then the rep the other half of his team who are actually doing sales were more thinking well actually I think it's more business people that kind of are coming to the city it's in they're in highly touristic areas and so there was this real disconnect between what brand people thought and what commercial people thought um and so that Mm. was kind of one of the first sparks where I was like there's, you've got to do the internal work first before you start creating all this content. Because if you're going to craft words and stories and anecdotes that you want to resonate with this audience, you have to know how that audience acts. You have to know how they talk. You need to know their anxieties and fears and whatever. Um, so we were like, we kind of wanted to create an agency which kind of had its own core like beliefs and Ide- like ideas. Culture yeah, that wasn't sort of propping up and another editorial yeah and I think at the same time from my side of things I loved the job I was doing but there's just so much angst around journalism and editorial budgets at the minute they were just were never like there was never going to be more kind of money I guess to play with and money to allocate um and that's not specific to suitcase totally across the board you know journalists are getting laid off and do, trying to do more brand work um but at the same time uh, a lot of them aren't kind of talking about copywriting as if it's like a cool, fun thing to do. So we kind of thought if we could elevate copywriting from both sides, so make the writing better and richer and more story-driven, more editorial in a way, then it could be something that journalists and writers would then be proud to speak about and talk about and actually have as an open part of their portfolio rather than just, you know, what they do to pay the bills and then they do these, you know, editorial pieces that they share. So... That was the two sides of the mm. conversation, I think, mm. that pushed it forward. Yeah. And I think the practical things that we actually did, I think we, I don't I don't know if you agree, but I think we maybe did it a tiny bit early. Well, as in it doesn't, it doesn't Wait, matter what? because it all worked out. What but we mean? kind of took the jump without oh. actually necessarily having yeah. that much in place. I think we both had savings. Think, we both had savings that meant that we could continue for a certain amount of time. Um, yeah, I was doing some freelance journalism as well. So I'd kind of used those contacts, I guess, while I was at Suitcase to set up commissions or yeah. relationships. And I had some money that I'd like made from commissions at Suitcase. 
um, and saved up. So we kind of knew that we had that spirit. But I think other people sort of set up clients and set up and kind of take clients and that kind of stuff, which we didn't do. But I think the thing that it did mean was that we had a period of time where we could kind of figure out exactly what our process was and what we mm. wanted to do. I think we did try and have conversations before. I remember we had a kind of weekend brainstorm or whatever before we yeah. left, but it just, and you never, there's nothing the same as like actually having the pressure, I guess, of being like, right now we actually have to do this. But I think, yeah, if you can, if you have time to work on something before you actually leave your job, that's yeah, almost certainly the best <laughs> yeah. way to do it. Cue <laughs> mon- months of anxiety. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the pressure did help us once we were yeah. actually out of it and being yeah. like, let's make this thing work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess really practical things, like literally just making sure you have all your contacts, mm-hmm. tell people you're leaving and how to keep in touch. We started, because as well as the agency side of Sondra and Tell, we have this um, kind of culture and community of storytellers. So if you go on our website or on our Instagram, we interview a different writer or editor or photographer, or actually now we've kind of expanded it to include heads of marketing. So people that are telling more brand stories. Um, And we interview one of them every week about their favorite stories, could be books, magazines, podcasts, um, and their job essentially. Um, And that kind of came out of, we had this like quite a lot of media contacts from suitcase that we knew we wanted to keep in touch with somehow. Um, And also as we went on to like brand ourselves as this kind of really story driven agency, we wanted to make sure we were showing our culture to the outside and giving people a reason to talk about an agency beyond just the clients you have. Because why would you follow an agency really on Instagram if they're just (laughs) showing their portfolio? Mm. Um, So that was a really good way, I guess, to help us have something productive to do and start building out the culture of the brand and the agency before we necessarily were pulling together pitches or proposals mm. for for brands. Mm. Super interesting. I think that something that really fascinates me about the two of you is just your almost felt so natural and maybe it's just coming across this way but (laughs) I'm not too sure but it it seems like it was almost in your minds like a natural progression that you would then kind of see where this would take you if you started something on your own you know I think so many of us struggle with this concept of kind of what do we do next and I think you know we almost society has told us that you've got to go out and get a secure job or that you know the next most logical step would have been to go get another job if you're you know not super content in what you're doing. You know, how can we learn to become, I guess, for lack of a better word, more fearless or just willing to take the leap into the unknown, which is literally what you guys did and you said no clients lined up, all that kind of jazz. Mm. How can we learn to become a bit more, I guess, fearless? I actually, I think, I think there's like a good balance at the moment of sort of stuff out there telling us to be fearless and mm-hmm. stuff out there that's telling us. I almost feel like we're going more fearless at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sometimes like, guys, don't give up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do yeah. think, I think it's, I think it's amazing if you can jump into the unknown. I think there has to be, for us, for example, we were leaving our job at a magazine to start a content agency all the stuff that we were doing to create that content agency, we easily knew that if it didn't work out, I think for us, because we're both quite, um, not highly strong, but quite like (laughs) want things to be happening. I think we always knew that if it didn't work out, um, that that our journey would lead us very easily to another agency or another Mm. magazine or even like any sort of business because we were talking about 
um, creating brands essentially. So I think having that almost take the jump, if you're someone that can take the jump and be fearless and not care about it, you're that type of person. So you're just going to do it anyway. If you're not that type of person, Mm. which I don't know if we are. I think, think having that also, backup. Like you mentioned, both of us had saved money. We both had, quite, we were in quite a privileged position where we knew that it would be okay if it didn't go really well for a certain amount of time. And even when you were saying in the beginning, we both had good family upbringings and like had kind of given us that stability in a way. Like I think it's a different question to take the jump if you're, you know, really struggling financially. So I think worth kind of saying that we did have that sort of, foundation I mm. suppose I think there's also I I always feel like there's this which obviously we're on a founders podcast so or a kind of business podcast mm. obviously it's amazing to start your own thing um but there's also that you know you might not be ready to start your own thing but maybe you want to be part of a team mm. that kind of applauds that culture or like kind of embodies that entrepreneurial mm. culture. Mm. Um, yeah, because I think it does get hyped up a lot, you know, kind of hashtag girl boss thing. And it's mm. not for everyone. Like a lot of people find working in teams and climbing to the top of a career or like an internal mm. team really fulfilling. You don't have to go out and and that can be challenging as well. And if you have a good boss that knows what you feel rewarded by and what motivates you, then they should be able to tap into that. So I think for every, yeah. Mm. can't remember what the question was how do you prepare to take the lead I think from us how to be more fearless is basically having in the background the the plan B Mm. the money saved up and so it's not fearless at all Mm. yeah it's quite calculated we're terrified but it's almost but it's just having that having that safety net so that you can focus on yeah being fearless but I also think for us like we are a service-based agency so we were essentially we we are moving into an office soon but we haven't had an office yet we're essentially charging for our time so as soon as we had one person who wanted to pay us for whatever it was we were profitable Mm. which is quite a different level like height to fall from than someone who is going out for investment is going to not have a salary for three years and is putting everything into developing this product and has to build out a team quickly to actually make it work. So I think, yeah, for us, it's been, obviously there's been a level of fear, but it's always been like, okay, well, we're going to, we know we're going to grow this very incrementally. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's never been the, we're actually hiring someone now, but Mm -hmm. that's our first hire and it's been, well, nearly two years. So it hasn't been like we've had to build out this team fast and Mm -hmm iterate on a, a tech product mm, or something yeah. like that. So it's all, it's relative to, I think, what you're doing, the fear that you feel. Mm. I couldn't agree more. And I think I, I loved how you brought up that idea of like, hashtag girl boss is just becoming like, just calm down. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, everyone wants to be it. And it, to an extent, I mean, on a previous podcast we did, yes, two days ago, we had this full conversation around, you know, it's okay. You don't, it's almost like entrepreneurship has been glorified. Like you don't have to go out there and be a girl, hashtag girl boss. You will be one, even if you're at a company mm. that you love, mm. you're working for people that you love and you feel like you're working towards a cause that, that really touches you. And so I think that's super valuable to point out for all of our peers out there listening. I think that that is really the crux of the, the, the whole issue. And, and that's really what we should be chasing in my opinion, at least. Um, okay, cool. So, Talk to us then a little bit about that idea of surrounding yourself with the right people. So, you know, in business, business is tough in general, I think, regardless of whether you're building a tech product or, or you guys agency. How do you 
weed out the people that just aren't serving you and then bring those people who are just so great closer to you during this period of building something? Um, I think on a client side, mm. really, really early on, we um, our mentor, who we actually have never said to him that he's our mentor, but yeah, he just unofficially is. So now we'll probably know. Shout out Robert. Shout out Robert Bean. Um, we just always say he's our mentor. He's my, yeah, my sister's fiance's dad. And he helped us so much in the beginning. Um, he's a branding guy. He has his own podcast. Um, and he said really early on, define the type of people that you want to work with. Mm. He said, define the companies, but then we also defined the kind of people because I think, yeah, the kind of marketing managers or whatever yeah. that we'd want to be attracting. Because I think there's often, I think with finding the right people that you want to work with, there has to be that kind of guiding, mm. I don't know, shared principle between you um and I think I mean it was really cringe it was something like it was brand driven culture creators so that was the label we made which does sound very jargony but it's, I mean it's basically <laughs> it, people that are interested in building something beyond just a product and want to make positive change with the the company that they're running so they're not just you know if it's a hotel it's not just heads on beds it's mm. showcasing a de- destination in an interesting way um but that has helped because we're kind of like, are they this? Are they that? Or are they just, you know, wanting to make a quick buck or whatever? Yeah. Um, and I think all the companies that we've kind of had issues with is usually the type of people that are not that. They're just kind of trying mm. to fulfill. They're like going nine to five at their job. Mm. They're trying to fulfill what the CEO says or whatever. Mm. And then you can really tell the people that are trying to create something yeah. that will have an impact or create something lasting. And it's often people who, or potential clients or businesses that get in touch with us and comment on our culture or comment on the, some of the writers we featured. That's quite a good signal to us that they they like what they're seeing in terms of our brand. So they're interested in storytelling rather than just 500 words of copy for their website, you know? Um, so I think having that side of our culture has been helpful in terms of defining what, what sort of services we offer. Um, but in terms of surrounding ourselves with people, not necessarily clients you want to work with, but sort of networks, um, we have quite a lot of friends who are in different networks. So we have a friend, Ortega, her Wagbo has a network called Women Who, so she hosts different events um, from things like branding to sorting out your personal finances. Um, things like that have been really useful. Yeah, um, really helpful at the beginning as well when you're quite... I think that's one of the hardest things for us at the beginning was we didn't have that many friends that People were doing. To ask, yeah, like, is am I being ripped off or are we over undercharging? Um, those kind of questions. So those kind of groups that kind of naturally give you that type of network yeah. were really helpful at the beginning and also the kind of people that you wanted to surround yourself with because they could give you could kind of give each other different yeah. things that you were missing. Um, and we did a couple of events with a magazine called Repost as well, who always bring together the most incredible collection of women. So um, good to be around them as well. I'm trying mm. to think who else. I think just Soho in house has, I guess, having somewhere to work there, you're always sort of bumping into people. Mm. Yeah, I think in terms of like surrounding ourselves with people that support what we're doing we haven't had that much. Well, I to- guess we also have each other. It's like if you're a, ver- if you're a sole founder, I can see how you would maybe need to create more, like actually consider creating networks in that way. But I think because we've had each other to kind of bounce ideas off and run run past, run things past each other. 
Yeah. And then with freelancers that we work with, it's just people that kind of understand our process and respect. So even when we're working with designers, it's always the ones that kind of can read our words because we're very words based and often will do something and then sort of bring on designers to bring it to life with visuals. And I think a lot of them are used to working the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so it's been very clear that the people that we want to work with are the people that can kind of get into the story that we've written, kind of surround, understand words and understand how those words are then brought to life with mm. visuals. So I think it's always people that people that are positive for us and people that like really respect words, mm. um, respect and respect storytelling with words. Whereas I think people that kind of think that words can be pushed to the side or don't yeah. really mean anything. That's where it's been, you know, someone's like, oh yeah, but does does anyone really read that well, newsletter? Yeah. And you're like, well, maybe your audience doesn't, but that's not, then we're yeah. not the right people mm. to be working with you. So I think a respect for like words and the craft. And the impact they have, because I think you can go, you, you can kind of tell when someone goes in with like really heavy deliverables and they're like, we need 500 words here and two, and then it's like, well, can we have a step back and think about actually what, who you want to target, um, what are your business goals, what your what your tone of voice should be, and then maybe we'll help you tell tell you what the deliverables are and how how best to kind of tell that story. So I think people who want us to be kind of part of the strategy of it as well. Oh, I love it! I love it all, and I think <laughs> that it, it's so, it's so cool to see kind of just you guys really getting to know exactly what's right, what what feels the best and and then who the who are the those type of people that you want to surround yourself with. So I think that's really cool. Oh guys, we could talk <laughs> forever, but I am conscious of time. I will finish up with a couple of questions. The first one being where do you both envis- envisage or envision this company going? Yeah, we were speaking quite a lot about that recently. Mm. I think ultimately we're I think I'm saying the right thing here. I'm like, is this what we've talked about? Having a kind of space. So almost having a hub where you have different types of storytellers. Um, Yeah. And a kind of where brands can come in. We've started building out workshops as well. Um, Into our offerings, it's kind of more scalable. And so we create tone of voice for brands, but rather than just handing them over in a document, it's something we can actually workshop with them and make sure that it's embedded into all different aspects. So it'd be cool to have a kind of hub of storytelling where we have, I don't know, different writers coming in for different projects where clients might have a space where they can come workshop things as well. Um, Yeah, I think it's just building it into a new type of agency, which almost like functions as a brand itself. So Mm. people are coming to us because they know that we um, are great with words, but then at the moment, but then in the future, maybe we'll have like a video arm where that's also being brought to life. Um, We're basically, to be totally honest, we're not actually sure. Like we're we're so, it's been two years. It's hard because we want to scale the agency and grow, but we don't necessarily, we don't like the big agency Mm -hmm. model. So it's trying to do it in a way that's true to the way we're doing it now, which is essentially bringing on different people for different clients and creating custom teams. But then that is obviously difficult than just getting like a whole team of in-house copywriters and designers. Um, Yeah, so... Watch this, this. <laughs> yeah. Watch this space. Yeah. I love it. And I think, <laughs> I think it's being, I just love how you guys are, it's almost being comfortable with not knowing. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's the end game for most of us. If you asked me that question, I would have been like, well, um, <laughs> you know, so I think that's, it's super cool. But I, I love the fact that, 
you've got this amazing energy around your company with the two of you. It's obviously very youthful, but you've also been able to accomplish so much in the last two years. You were both listed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, um, which is super cool to see, especially female founders who just really personally resonates with me. Um, So we want to take a moment as we finish up to acknowledge you both for the phenomenal work you've done (laughs) and that you're doing. It's so cool to see you guys are really just going out there, making waves, making it happen. And you show us through doing that, that that we can do it too. So we really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Of course. (laughs) Great. So our final question is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Pierce Project. And that is, what is the value (laughs) of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The value of pursuing what you're most passionate about. (laughs) I guess I would say that I am passionate about words and the power of words. I think the value of building that into my everyday anyway, um, or our everyday, I don't know if I'm speaking for both of us, is that it does, I mean, it feels like work, but it it doesn't, It yeah, it also feels like it's not work at the same time, answering that in a weird way, but that, yeah, every day feels like a challenge and that you're actually achieving something and it feels rewarding um, rather than something you have to kind of slog through, I think. It doesn't, I mean, obviously there are days when it's like harder or more taxing on you than others. But I think ultimately it feels like you're using this, your skills and your interests. Yeah. Um, I think also the value in pursuing something that you're passionate about is you're like learning about yourself as you go. So you're trying new things, you're being challenged and you're figuring out what those passions actually are and how they evolve and how they change. Whereas I think sometimes if you're in a job that you're not passionate about, or you're in a, even if you're in a relationship, you're not passionate about all these things, you're just kind of a cog in the machine and you're just going on without sort of evolving. Mm. And um, yeah, like that kind of square peg round hole thing. I think if you're trying to fit yourself into a job that requires something totally different of you, you're always going to feel a bit jarring. Um yeah, so yeah, it's, that's, yeah, that's right, actually. It's that kind of sense of, like, flow and reflecting and, yeah, working on yourself at the same time as, yeah, pursuing your interests. Mm-hmm. Ah, amazing. Emily and Kate, ladies and gentlemen, we've had an absolute ball. Thank you guys so much once again. Where can people learn more about you and your work? So you can follow us at Sonder and Tell, where each week we profile different content creators and kind of the stories that inspire them. Um, And then you can check out everything interviews agency at (laughs) www.sonderandtell.com. And sign up to our newsletter, which is launching soon in the autumn. (laughs) Love it. Perfect. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much, guys. It's been amazing. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit 
thepierceproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepierceproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>